So we're in this series called Hashtag Squad Goals, and because I'm uh, over the age of 30, I had no idea what that meant, so I had to ask uh, Brian Schrader and, and Sam Randall, what really, what, what is this? Because it's quite popular in social media on the internet, if, if you don't know that. And there's one part of it where it's simply that, that each of us, deep down, we desire to be part of a squad, that we want, we want to belong, that we want to be part of a community. And one of the questions that uh, arises, will this community, this group, accept me for who I am? And then there's the other part of it, of, the, of that, is where it simply doesn't just end with us. It's not just about our needs of, of belonging being fulfilled, but can I be a part of a group of people that make a difference, to make a dent uh, in this world? Could I be a part of a group of people? Um, and we looked last week at the disciples, this really ragtag bunch that were so polarized, and yet Jesus brought them together and they changed the world. And obviously, we're not going to change the world probably that way. But can we make a difference just perhaps in our own spheres of influences? And if that were to occur, what might that look like? So we talked about last week about the series of squad goals. And what I want to do is really center in on this amazing story. It's called The 33. It's on Netflix. It's about the Chilean miners that were trapped. You guys remember that story? These guys were trapped for 69 days, and they were underground. And what was amazing about that story, and I don't have enough time this morning to go through the whole thing, is that, you know, they had barely enough food and water to make it for a handful of days. And yet something remarkable happened while they were trapped in the hole. Uh, they began to bond together in profound ways. They began to lean in, in, in each other because they had no idea what was going to happen. And the community that occurred below the surface in the hole was so profound where they not only began to share their secrets and past sins and problems in life, but also they would have a, a regular time of worship, that they would actually sing songs just like we did, that they would take time in Bible study and prayer every day. It was interesting, while this community was happening, and each day, day one, day two, day three, day 45, day 50, it began to swell. It began to swell into this, this, this community where before they really didn't know each other. I mean, Victor knew Pedro, but Vic, not, not at, at the, the depths that occurred because they were in the hole. And they weren't quite sure if they were going to live or not. In fact, the chances were very high that they were going to die. And then below or above the surface, there was these uh, Chilean workers that were drilling holes to get down in there because there was this huge rock that was blocking any way for them to get up. That rock was bigger than the Empire State Building. That's how big it was. So they were drilling down this into a hole trying to reach these guys. And before they uh, started the drill, there was about eight of them, and, and they said, you know what, before we do this, let's pray. Let's pray for God to rescue these workers. So they prayed together, and then over the course of days, above the surface, community began to occur as well. It's just remarkable, that whole story. And this morning, I kind of want to use that sort of as a way to frame as we talk about community because it's something that we talk about quite a bit. You hear a lot of that in churches. And I simply want to make some observations based on that film and based on the book, if you haven't had a chance, uh, the, the uh, 33 uh, Chilean Miners. 
to actually read that and learn more about it because it's a remarkable story. And I want to make some observations and also uh, to bring in some scripture that talks about uh, community and the importance of it. First of all, number one is that being connected with others is a non-negotiable for life. Now, you might, you might stop and say, that, that's really optional. Especially in the world, the life that I live, I'm way too busy, and I, I, I can connect with others uh, via technology. But it's not the same. As I, as I talked about a little while ago, in-person relationships. When was the last time that you had a meaningful conversation with another person face-to-face? And that's what was occurring below the surface for these Chilean miners is that they were talking to one another and sharing with, with one another because, in a sense, their life depended upon it. Each day for them to get through it is that they had to kind of lean into each other. And when, when, one, when one of the miners was weak, the other one would kind of pick him up. And it's true for our lives as well. That being connected, being connected to others is a non-negotiable for life. It's interesting how empirical uh, research and data has actually supported this in a variety of ways. For example, there was a study done on uh, mice. Uh, actually, this one mouse uh, had some, I don't know how they do it, but blood pressure things on uh, a small scale around the arms and body of this mouse. And it was, thrown, it was put in this cage of unfamiliar mice. This mouse didn't know the, the mice. I'm not sure how they re, uh, figured that out, but they did. But this mouse is in this cage with the other mice. They didn't know each other. And there's a very low supply of food and water. And all of a sudden, that blood pressure in that mouse skyrockets. Okay? They take that same mouse... They put, they put it in a different cage with the mouse's brothers and sisters. Again, low supply of food and water, and that blood pressure drops. It makes a difference. It makes a difference that, that, that we have community, that we have people in our lives. Another study that was done that actually shows that if there's anything that you do, it's actually in a book called Bowling Alone by Robert Putnam. Um, that if there's anything that you want to do to improve your life, it's relationships. In fact, they, the, Putnam actually uh, pointed out a study in that book that you can uh, not work out, you can eat junk food, you can eat Twinkies, and you can have deep-fried pickles at the state fair, you can have bacon-wrapped tater tots, and, and have all that, yet... If you have a strong social network, you will improve your life significantly. Not like small, but very significant. Okay? But if you live alone and you eat Brussels sprouts and zucchini, uh, your life in terms of the length is really not going to go as far. So really, in a way, if you think about it, in terms of relationships, forget the workout craze. You know, just eat Eat all you want, and, but, but have friends. You'll live longer, okay? There we go. Somebody's clapping. There you go. That's good. That's good. So for us, you know, as, as we're talking about, and Kate talked about community groups, I want to encourage you to do, join a community group because it'll actually make a difference in your life. You'll live longer. So our, our, our mantra this year is join a community group or die, okay? <laughs> yeah. That'll make a nice bumper sticker, right? Yeah. Well, if you have your Bibles this morning, I'll invite you to turn to Psalm 133. 
Because the psalmist talks about this, the importance of relationships and, and being connected. This is not a 21st or 20th century phenomenon. It, this is something that goes way, way, way back in, into the Bible in the Old Testament. Relationships made a difference. It added value to life. It added so much to life. And, and many of us uh, can attribute that as well. Psalm 133, verses 1 through 3. You can pull up on your Bible app if you want to or... Uh, pull the uh, Bible from the pew and follow with me. I'm going to re- be reading from the New Living Translation. How wonderful and pleasant. Circle those words. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers, and that's not gender um, exclusive. Actually, it's, it's a metaphor for brothers and sisters, just people, live together in harmony. And what he means by that, he's saying in harmony, he's talking about just being connected, being connected together. How wonderful and pleasant it is when, when we are connected to other people. He says this, For harmony as precious as the anointing oil that was poured over Aaron's head that ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. He's talking about a very significant historical event in in the the community of Israel when, when Aaron was consecrated as a priest. It was a big deal. It's like all the stores shut down and and for this service for Aaron. And this writer is actually making the, the parallel that, that relationships being connected is as important as sacred as Aaron becoming priest of Israel. I mean, that's a strong statement. And not only that, he compares relationships connected, harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon that falls on the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even in life everlasting. And that's what relationships do for us. They're non-negotiable for life. They, re- they bring refreshing um, aspects to us, but also they have a value for us as well. And, and for us to know that, you know, when it comes to the life that I want to live, I want to live life with others. I mean, think about it. Some guy binges for the hundredth time and he loses his family, he's lost his job, and he, he knows he's going to die, but he stumbles into an AA meeting and he finds honesty and rawness and community in that group. Uh, or perhaps a, a person has been diagnosed with cancer, or maybe somebody else has suffered a loss. Someone has lost their job, or they're bankrupt. In a sense, they're in, the, in a hole. And yet, they find a group of people, a community, and all of a sudden, their life changes. They find purpose. They find hope. They find a future for themselves. Relationships are key for us, and we're made for community, and we suffer when we don't have it. Let's turn to Acts chapter 4, sort of an expression of what we see in Psalm 133, Acts chapter 4. And last week, I looked at Acts chapter 2, and in a way, Acts chapter 4, verses 32 to 34, is sort of like an echo of what we see in Acts chapter 2. It says here in verse 32, all the believers were united. In other words, they had harmony, they were connected in heart and mind. And they felt that what they owned was not their own, so they shared everything they had. The apostles testified powerfully to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and God's great blessing was upon them all. There was no needy people among them. That, that's a squad goal. That, that, that's something that, that the group that I'm a part of, I, I, want, I want to do something like that. I want to make, make that kind of difference, but also that, just to be connected like that. To have that kind of backing, to have that kind of support. Do you have that in your life? 
I mean, really, do you have that? Do you have people that are for you? Do you have people that you know you can turn to and share with them? And they have your back. When's the last time you, you heard the words, I love you, or we're behind you, our group is, is, is pulling for you, I'm pulling for you? I think it's one of the great gifts that God gives to a church is where we move from pews into circles where we do life together in these community groups. And ever since I've been here for the last five and a half years, I've always been in a community group. And I can't tell you the difference it's made in my life. I got a card recently from my community group that I have on my desk. I got it a few months ago. And they wrote this to me. They said, just a note to say we love you and to let you know you're in our thoughts and prayers and to remind you that you should lean on this group and the entire church to help in any way. We're here for you and your family always with love. And I have a, I have a folder in, in um, my office. I call them uh, words or cards of encouragement. And, and after a while, I move them from the top of my desk down into that folder, and I pull these out just, to, just for me to know. Because, you know, if, as a pastor, we're so used to giving and giving and giving, but to receive I mean, I, I can say that the first time in my pastoral ministry to receive it at this sort of level is incredible. And to feel that kind of love and support from my community group is remarkable. It's just absolutely remarkable. So being connected is a non-negotiable for life. Next, by being connected to others, I think that I'm better at, at honesty. And I think you are as well. Because when we're on our own, it's so easy for us to be dishonest or perhaps we want to cut corners. I remember uh, being in a, in, a, in a meeting not too long ago. And in my mind, I was thinking about this meeting and, and how, how I was in sort of um, uh, package uh, the communication I was going to provide in this meeting. And, and I was kind of shaping and forming. And, and with doing that, I was embellishing things. And, and yet, sort of the subconscious is thinking, I'm, I'm just going to say it this way. It's going to look really good, and, and that's going to be fine. But I got to the meeting. A really good friend of mine was right there. And just his presence convicted me. And that whole scenario in my head went out the door, and I just cut to the chase and said what was honest. You and I are better when we have others around us. I'm better when I have my two Springer Spaniels around me. Honestly, we're, we're better when we have people around us. We need people around us. Otherwise, it's easy for us to give in to dishonesty or, or lying or embellishing, however you want to say it. William Backus, and I mentioned this a number of times, William Backus, a psychologist in the Twin Cities, says on, on the average basis, we lie 200 times a day. And uh, it's interesting you think about that, and then you read about what God thinks about lying and dishonesty. Let's turn it back to the Old Testament. Let's go to Proverbs chapter 6. Whenever I read about something that God hates, it gets my attention. It should get yours too. And we read in Proverbs chapter 6, starting with verse 16, uh, some things that God is not a big fan about. Things that he actually hates. These are called the abominations of God. Uh, in cer certain translations. Proverbs 6, verses 16 through 19 says this, There are six things that God, that God hates. No, seven things he detests. That's sort of, sort of a poetic thing there. It, it's not like the writer's changing his mind or he forgot. He's, he's kind of doing a literary thing. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, 
hands that kill the innocent, a heart that plots evil, feet that race to do wrong, a false witness who pours out lies. So twice it's mentioned about dishonesty. And for the longest time in my life, I would memorize that passage and go it over and over again and ask God to help me to be honest. Because like you, I am so prone to shape things or perhaps say things and just kind of cover it up. And maybe for you, it's not necessarily being dishonest, but maybe you're just kind of like, you know, I'm just going to kind of put on this sort of mask and to kind of pretend that, thing, that things are okay. And all of us do that, don't we? We put on different masks. We want people to, to realize our, our lives are okay, but deep down, it's really not. Uh, so we come to church with a certain kind of mask, a holy mask. Or we go to work with a certain kind of mask, like perhaps it's a productive or being in charge mask. But the beautiful thing that we see with Jesus and the disciples over and over and over is the dropping of the mask to expose just really who we are. It reminds me of the story of this, uh, it's kind of a cheesy story, but it's a story, uh, a story about a zoo that um, they had this prized gorilla uh, actually die. And so uh, they were at a loss because that gorilla was an attraction. So they went out and found a guy to put on a gorilla suit. And they actually beat his chest, you know, they paid him really well, and just to be a gorilla, make the sounds, do whatever you need to do. And pretty soon he started to enjoy it. You notice kids were clapping, parents were taking pictures, uh, there were selfies, you know, with the gorilla there in the background. And then he got, he got so into it, he jumped on the rope, he started swinging, swinging around. And, and, and he was, his gorilla sound was improving too. And people were cheering. And he went too far with the swing, and he landed in the lion's cage. Okay, he landed in the lion's cage, and he started to freak out. And he saw the lion, and he got scared, and he blew his cover. He yelled, help, help. And the lion got closer and closer, and he's screaming at the top of his lungs. You know, almost like girl-like, high-pitched scream. And, and, and the lion's getting closer, and finally the lion gets on top of him and says, shut up, you're going to blow our cover. <laughs> but we do that. We put on masks, don't we? We put on masks. We, we want people to see us a certain way. And, and what is so remarkable I think the dream, the remarkable dream of a church community is where you and I can come together, perhaps not on a Sunday morning, um, but maybe in a community group where we can drop the mask. And I am so grateful for my community group. When they ask me the question, how are you doing? It's kind of like this. How are you doing really? Because we're we're so sort of um, wired as Minnesotans. We're good, good. How's life good? You know, we just say that. And what I, what I treasure about my community group is when I get together with them, you know, and they look me in the eye and ask me how I'm doing, I just can't, I can't gloss over that stuff. I just got to really open up with them because I know, when I read that card, that they're for me. They're, they're pulling for me. You know, they're not going to, like, sabotage me. They're not going to go out and gossip or something like that. I know that this group is there for me. And it makes a huge difference in my life. And that's exactly what was happening for the Chilean miners. You know, pretty, the first day, again, Victor didn't know Pedro as well, but over time, pretty soon, the mass started to drop. 
where Pedro was apologizing to Jose for something that he had done to him. And the level of honesty that began to occur in the Chilean miners, as it's, it's documented, is absolutely remarkable. And then to the point where another miner said, you know what, I just want to tell you that one day when you were working, I went and told our boss a lie about you because I wanted to be promoted. I, I wanted to, to be a supervisor, so I lied about that. I mean, that, that was the level of honesty that was occurring among those miners. So when we're connected, I think we're better at being honest. Let's turn to Proverbs chapter 27. It's a great passage that a lot of us have heard over and over again, and it's been quoted even for people who don't know the Bible. It's mentioned this, iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. And the idea here in this uh, passage right here is that the first iron that's mentioned is like a bigger iron. It's a stronger iron, and it's there to sharpen maybe a sword or a, a knife. And I, I need people like that in my life that are going to sharpen me. In fact, the, the rabbis would use this passage as a way to say to their students, you need to find a, a mentor that is going to sharpen you, that's going to help you become better, that's going to help you become more honest, that's going to help you with your character. So again, we're better when we have others around us. I'm more honest. I'm better in my life when I have other people around me. Next, if you're taking notes this morning, by being connected to others, I'm more hopeful. I'm more hopeful. And that was exactly what was happening for the Chilean miners is that the only way they were able to survive, because again, they had very low, low food and water. And they kept encouraging one another, we're going to make it. Even though there was no hope in sight, they had no idea what was happening above the ground. But they began to encourage one another, the day is going to come. We're going to be okay. The day is going to come. We're going to be okay. What are you hoping for? When you think about hope in your own life, where, where, where does that come from? What propels, what causes hope in your life? I remember when I, when I bought my, my first new car back in my 20s, you know, buying that car and, and driving it, and, and it just did something to me. So I, I felt like bigger. I felt more hopeful about my life. And having that new car sent was so nice, isn't it? Yeah, but what happens after a while? It dissipates, and especially if you have children. It goes away very fast. But how many of us, when it comes to either cars or homes, that, that, that we want that smell? We want that, we want that experience. We want to have that thing. So I'm going to do a little illustration here. And I'm going to pick on uh, Ryan and Tom. I'm going to come over here. Close your eyes. I'm going to ask you what this smells like. Oh, you're opening your eyes, Tom. You're cheating. What's that smell? Okay. Okay, you're good. Close. New car scent. I was going to give it to you, but you weren't close, so I'm going to keep it. 
If, if you just said new car set, I would have given it to you. But anyways, but, but we, how many times, if we're to use this sort of as a metaphor for our lives, that we're trying to recapture that smell or that thing that we have from the past, how many of us are looking back to the past trying to recapture that thing, that moment in our lives where it seemed like it provided hope? And for us to go forward, we need that. It's like we're reaching back. Reminds me of Star Wars, The Force Awakens. If you saw that movie where uh, Ma, she's that little tiny lady with that, that, that bar grill, whatever, and she's got the weird glasses. I don't know if you've seen that movie. But she talks to Ray, and she says to Ray, what you seek is not behind you. It's in front of you. It's before you. And for us to forget the stuff in the past and to place our hope in Jesus Christ, because when it comes to the different decisions that you and I make, that's where our hope comes from. As we gather, gather together with other people in a community to be united in heart and mind for the day that Jesus Christ is going to return. I want to encourage you to turn to Hebrews. Let's turn to uh, Hebrews. If I can find my passage with all my notes here. You guys have in your notes there. Hebrews 10, there it is. Hebrews 10, and let's go to verse 24. Hebrews 10, verses 24 through 25. And what I love about Hebrews, there's a number of things that it outlines, but it talks so much about uh, the community of having friends. In verses 24 and 25, it said this. Let us think of ways. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to, to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. So as they were gathering together, they're saying, let's gather together as a community. But as we do, the day is coming. The day is coming that Jesus Christ is going to return. You know, we can have the different things in our lives that remind us of the past, but for us, what we seek is in front of us is the day that Jesus Christ will return. It's to believe, believe that each Easter as we gather together, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but he is going to return. And for me and, and the community group that I'm a part of, that is something that we place our hope for. And then as we gather together, we need to hear that from each other. Thinking about the future, so often we think about the present, but to know that the day that Jesus Christ is going to return brings hope into our lives. In the last couple of weeks, I've done two funerals, and I've shared with people about where is their hope. Because in funerals, I, I have people's attention. And in, in one of the funeral services that we had here, I shared the gospel, and I said, you know, this person, they made uh, a choice on one of the guarantees in life that putting their faith in Jesus Christ they will have an eternity in heaven. And that Jesus Christ will return one day, one day for each of us. And as I shared that, I encourage people to place their hope in Christ. 
And I asked them, if, if you're here and you're not a, not a Christian, if you want to pray this prayer with me, just like this person who had passed away, if you want to pray this prayer with me, please repeat after me. And I uh, shared what's called the sinner's prayer. And I shared it phrase by phrase. And it was very interesting that as I shared it, it actually took me aback. Because typically when you do that, people will pray a prayer like that to themselves. But there must have been 50, 60 people out loud saying that. You know, I mean, I had to take a step back. I was like, did I explain things right? But in unison, they prayed that prayer to place their hope, not in the things of this world, but to place their hope in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, if you see, for me, I lose sight of that after a while. That, that sounds weird coming from a pastor, but I'm normal, just like you. And my mind drifts, my, my focus drifts, and I begin thinking about other things. And I don't think as much as I should about that day. And I know, as I come together with my community group, how so often, we have a couple of members in our group that remind us over and over that Christ is, re- is going to return again. And it's just, I love that. I love receiving that from our community group. So this morning, I want to challenge you. I have a little assignment for you. If you're not part of a community group, please sign up for one. Please sign up. And if you see, if, when you walk out after the, this morning's service and you don't see a day or time, there's a sheet of paper at the very end of the tables that you can sign up and put down and say, I want to join a community group or I want to form my own community group and just write that down because we love to place you in a community group. We have a video right now that just really outlines what a community group is for those who are not quite sure what this entails. Let's watch it. We live in a a fast-paced society and we don't have personal, deep relationships. And I think a lot of us experience loneliness at times. In fact, the Bible says actually the first thing not good is when man is alone, when humanity is alone. Deep within us is there's sort of this primal ache of, of being connected and, and having community. For people that come to a Sunday morning service, that's a great experience, but it's not enough. And the sort of vision that the Bible gives and what we also uh, endorse here at Maple Grove Covenant is where uh, we get connected in a smaller group in, in homes for us to, to know others, also to be known, uh, to belong into a community a group of others that we know who are advocating for us, that love us, that laugh with us, they cry with us. It's not simply just a Bible study. Uh, it's not just a sort of isolated ministry. It's woven in the fabric of Go Love Live, within the live especially, is to live in community where we are together with others. It really enables a person to move from simply knowing some folks on Sunday morning and and having some hallway conversations, but actually engaging in a more profound and deep friendship where you really feel like you're doing life with others and that you're on this journey together and you're not alone, but you actually have some friends alongside you. my prayer and dream as I shared last week that everybody here would be a part of a community group. It'll change your life. Let me pray.
Father God, we give thanks for community. And so often, God, how you work in and through the people in our lives. Encouragement here, a hug there, a word of love and care. Just makes a huge difference. And just to know that we're not alone. And I gotta pray for people in this congregation right now that may not have that. Or perhaps they're just, maybe they're introverted and, and, and taking that kind of stuff is a little scary. God, I pray that you come alongside them in, in, in taking that courageous step. God, we are wired for community because you're a God of community. Father, Son, and Spirit. In your name we pray. Everybody said, amen.